So anyhow, I was looking out across the freshly mowed grass, and what do I see? I see these little mountains, and I, those darn gophers. So anyhow, we have, um, we have some battling to do. Whack-a-mole. We have some battling to do. How are you guys doing? Are you good? Are you happy to be in church? Well, that's good. That sounded good. Well, today I want to continue. We're going to stay uh, with the theme of Acts. Um, Acts is uh, incredibly challenging as a book in the Bible because it really demonstrates as we ought to be as Christians and as a church. And, uh, and to stay with kind of my uh, uh, working through the book of Acts, we're only going to look at one verse today. Because if we do one verse at a time, we'll be in it for the rest of our lives. And, uh, but I got to Acts chapter 14. Pastor Doug Sr., he spoke on um, Acts 13 last week. And, and one of the attributes of a New Testament church is uh, the acts of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit in the church, and that it leads us and directs us. And if we are attuned and we listen, the Spirit will lead you and direct you, and should be leading you, and directing you, and should be leading us as a church. One of the other attributes that we've talked about is that we, as Christians, as a church, will go through seasons. Another attribute is that there's a supernatural aspect to a New Testament church. If you look at a New Testament church, you should see supernatural things occurring in the church. We've seen miracles. We've seen healings. We've seen salvations, which is, by the way, the attribute we're going to talk about today. One of the things that you should see in a New Testament church is people being saved. Oh, it was challenging as I was going through and just studying salvation this week that that if that's not going on in a church... Is it a New Testament church? Selah. When, you, when you're reading Scripture and you come across a little word and it's S-E-L-A-H, it might be an older version of the Bible. But it's Selah. It means think about it. If there's not salvations happening in the church today, is it a New Testament church? And some would say, well, maybe it doesn't need to be. No, it does. We need to be a New Testament church and we need to be a New Testament church for today and for the community that needs us to be that. So Acts chapter 14, verse 1. It's kind of an interesting verse to really build a message around, but let me read it to you. If you have your Bibles, Acts follows John. No, it follows Luke. John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then Romans. So, wow, that was interesting. So Acts chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now why do I stop there? Because when I read that, I thought, this is going on through the entire book up to this point. They speak the gospel, and people believe. They speak the gospel, and people are saved. What's an attribute of a New Testament church? What was an attribute of that church and of every church that should exist today? People should be saved. Now, why? Why do we need salvation? Why do we need it? Take a minute and consider those that you encounter daily. 
I, I don't even remember who I was talking to, but they were marveling at the fact that they just took a minute to talk with somebody and how the person just completely opened up to them about their lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly of their lives. Why were they so open to opening up to these folks? It's because they're truly hurting. They need to be saved. We needed to be saved. We need to be saved daily. The problem, we are separated from our Creator if you're not saved. That's the problem. If you're not saved, you're separated from your Creator to whom we were made to have, what, fellowship with. We were made to fellowship Him, with Him and, and to worship Him and to have a life that's demonstrating a life that's in relationship with Him. My wife and I have been uh, doing some counseling together because we need it. No, not that kind of counseling. We've been doing the counseling for somebody else, and we might still need it, but after this, for sure. Um, But as we've been doing counseling, we've been talking about how we've been married now 26 years plus, And, and there's a time in our marriage that she can finish my sentence and I can finish hers because we're in close relationship with one another. We start to act like one another. Isn't that scary for you to think that you might? Yeah. But, but you do. After a while, you spend enough time with somebody, you start to act like them. Which is an interesting thing for Christians, believers. If you stop to think about it for a second, people actually know if you've been in relationship with Jesus based on the way you act. <gasps> So, are you fellowshipping with him? Well, no, by the way you act. And going to church on Sunday, as I said, is a very good thing. But Sunday is just one day out of the week, and honestly, we're only here for about an hour and a half, two hours on a Sunday. Are you fellowshipping with him outside of that? See, We need salvation because we need to be in union with our Creator. We need to be in fellowship with our Creator. But once we come into that salvation experience, we need to continue to fellowship and continue to be in union with our Maker. Because what? People will know you by your love. They will know you by how you act. Do you want to act like Christians or do you want to act like something else? Um... We are separated from our Creator to whom we were made to have fellowship, relationship with Him. We are burdened by life and damaged by sin, both personal and inherited. We are damaged by the sin in our lives. We are damaged. The world is damaged by the sin in their lives. The world. The world is not a mass of people that move uh, anonymously. The world is anybody that is not connected with Jesus intimately and is lost and they're hurting and they're not a blank face. They are somebody you know and you know them personally. They are burdened by life. They are damaged by the sin in their life. The personal sin, yes, but also the, the sin that, that, that we were born into that we inherited when, we die, when, when Adam and Eve sinned. That's the problem. That's the tension that exists every day in life. A good story will, will as you read a story, you'll, you'll read, and, and over time, the story will start to build a tension in the story. And that's the point where you stay up late because you can't put the book down. 
because the tension has gotten to be really intense and then there has to be this release of tension. Well, the release of tension for us in our life story is that moment that, uh, that there's this awakening of the Spirit within us that says, I must be saved. And you hear the call and you answer the call and you go forward and you are saved. That's the release of the tension of your life story. And many of us have experienced that. You've been in that place where you were in a service and you just felt the Spirit within you come alive and come awake. You didn't even know what it was, but it just awoke within you. There's a, there's a long word that's sometimes used called the regeneration of a life. But it was the Spirit awakening within you. And it was usually right about that moment, right before you said, yes, I must be saved. It's because life is full of issues. Life is full of sin, and in that sin, it tears down, it breaks down. You've heard this verse over and over and over again, but the enemy seeks to what? Kill, steal, and destroy, and he's doing a job. I hate to say he's doing a good job because I don't want to give him credit, but I can see the evidences of the work that he's doing in our communities, and maybe you see that evidence in your own life, is there, is there a, a killing, a stealing, a destroying that's going on in your life? Is that the tension that's building and building? And, and I'm here to tell you this morning, be aware of the spirit within you coming alive and waking up. Because as you're aware of that, shortly after that will be the call. And the call will be the call that says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Matthew verse... Um, We'll go there. Matthew verse, or chapter 11, verse 28 says this. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and, carry, and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I, how many are here today saying, Hey, I'm carrying a heavy burden? How many here would say this? Maybe you don't, are unaware of the burden, but you're, you are very aware of the need for rest. You know, it's kind of like uh, for me, it's a touchy subject, but it's like weight loss. I don't know that I need to lose 20 pounds until I can't walk up and down stairs without breathing hard. Yesterday, I was trying to wheel a dishwasher across our lawn. I, don't ask. But anyhow, I was, as I'm trying to do that with a hand truck, I get to the point where there's a slight hill. So I get up the hill, and after I got up the hill, we all had to rest for a minute. Me, myself, and I, because we were exhausted. Uh, Jeremy, who's here today, he, he was helping uh, put in some plumbing out there. But I got to the door, and he wanted to talk. Well, I can't talk. I can't breathe. I had a heavy burden that I needed to lay down. I knew that I needed some rest. I was out of shape. I wasn't prepared to be able to, to do that. How many here today would say, I need rest? And there was that point in your t life where it was the initial time that you got saved and you went to him and you felt different. You just knew life was not going to be the same again. And it was evidenced in even how your life was lived. I, I know there's testimonies here today of how life has been different since the day you accepted the Lord. But then there's those that are here today that maybe you accepted the Lord 40, 50 years ago, 20 years ago. Are you in a place where you need to go to the Lord and find rest again? 
Come to me, all who are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. In order for you to go to him, then you must get that place again of fellowship with him. You know how people will know you're a believer? Because they'll see in you the lack of burden. And they'll start to see the evidence of love and, and, and the attributes that Christ has. They'll start to see Christ in you, the hope of glory. When people look at you, do they look at you and say, hey, you give me hope because of what I see in your life. I know I can have that same hope because if you can have it, by all means, I could have it. Is that the demonstration that they see in you today? Salvation. As I studied it this week, I thought, wow, that's kind of a, that's like, that's like church 101. Salvation. I mean, that's not even church 101. That's like before 101. That's something that just happens in church, right? I hope. But it's awesome to take time out to really discover what is this salvation experience all about. The salvation experience is really what life was about and the reason Jesus came for us. There there is no church life, there is no Christian walk without salvation. It is the crux of what we stand upon. It is the meaning of our faith. Oh, it's so important. We shouldn't overlook it. We shouldn't make light of it. It, Salvation is what we're able to stand upon and walk tall and confidently in knowing that I am saved and I've been adopted as his children. Let's go through my notes here. How's that? The salvation experience begins. The different parts of our experience of salvation. We're going to do some teaching here on salvation this morning. Being saved is no small thing and ought not to be lived out lightly. Salvation is not a small thing and should not be lived out lightly. There is no accidental occurrences leading to salvation. I've seen people that will be in a place where you you just know this is the moment that they're going to accept the Lord as their Savior, and then I'm just so impressed at that moment that God ordained every moment leading up to that one for them. The moment you were saved, God had planned every step along the way so that you would encounter him at that moment and he would call you and you would answer the call and be saved because he cares deeply for you as an individual, not, a, not a, an anonymous face, a blank face. He sees you intimately, knows you intimately, cares for you intimately and prepared you for that moment that you were saved. Who's saved and knows it? Say amen. He knew that the moment you were saved would be an awesome moment. He ordained it. He prepared you for it. Because He loves you that much. There was a time that you, and and there will be a time for those that haven't answered the call yet, but we call it the call. Romans 8.30 says this, and and having chosen chosen them, He called them to come to Him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. The call is for those that have chosen to be like his son. See, he's been calling you. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I haven't accepted the Lord as my Savior. I, I, I don't exactly know what that means. Well, I'm telling you that today may be the day that he's calling you. He's saying that 
it's time. It's time that you and I become friends. It's time that you and I become closer than friends. That we start to enter into purpose in life. And having chosen them, who's them? Us. You. He called you to come to Him. And having called you, He gave you right standing with Himself. You are at odds with Him if you're not saved. There's Scripture that says you're actually, in a sense, His enemy. You're either for me or you're against me. But by answering the call, He has given right standing. And not just right standing. It goes on to say He gave him, gave them His glory. Wow. So the life that you live prior to salvation, prior to the call, is one that's full of damage from sin and, and heartbreak and hurt and disaster. And, and honestly, I see people today as they walk through life, and they, it's almost like they're, they're just numb to life because of life issues. They're just trying to get through this day and then the next and then the next. And every now and again, there's a port in the storm and someone asks how they're doing and they're able to unload for a minute and then go back to being numb and just try to walk through life day in and day out. And the enemy loves to just keep them stuck in that place of being numb to life. But the spirit that's with us here and now wants to awaken those people wants to awaken the spirit that's within them so that they could enter, not just move from a numb life to a life that's alive, but a life that can proclaim his glory and has the capacity. We, his people, have the capacity to demonstrate his glory in the way that we live our life because of the fellowship and the spending time with him that we should have day in and day out. We'll start to reflect Him and, and, and be looked upon as if we are Christians. People will call us Christians because of the way that we live. So isn't that an amazing miracle in and of itself? Is not salvation itself an amazing miracle to see a life go from being completely numb and dead in the Spirit to becoming alive and not just alive, but alive in the Spirit in such a way that His glory is demonstrated in the way that they live? That's an awesome miracle. Think about the change and the difference between the two. Oh, I get fired up about it because when we see those numb, those dead, those dead in the spirit, and those that are just trying to survive from one day to the next, when they become alive, and and not just one, but two, and then three, and then ten, and then twenty, and then a hundred, and then two hundred, and then a thousand, and then ten thousand start to come alive in the spirit, and they start to move into his glory, what happens in the very community in which you live in? But where did it start? It started at one life coming alive. One life answering the call. Now, that, that, that progression from being dead because of sin and, and, and becoming alive and, and truly fulfilling His call in your life and demonstrating His glory in your life That whole life is what we're here to live here on this earth. Beyond that is eternity. 
But where are you? And I would ask you whether you're not saved or whether you're saved. Where in this place are you? Are you just, you've answered the call, you've been saved, and you just parked right here? Or, or, and, and being parked right here isn't a matter of days or time. It's a matter of however long you want to stay parked there. You, you could be saved for 40 years and still be here. Where are you in that? Because I can tell you, the closer and closer you get to Him, and the more glory you start to see, and, and the more uh, love that you start to d- uh, see fr- demonstrated in your life from Him, it, w- our mission is, is to discover the reality of God's love. The more you start to re- discover the reality of how much He loves you, not, the, not just the initial salvation experience, but even beyond. There's, what I'm here to tell you this morning is if you've been saved for any period of time, guess what? There's still more. And that's awesome. There's more. We're a consumer society. We want more. How come we don't want more of this? Because this is better. There is more. There is more. Go for more. Romans 8, 29. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them. He chose you to become like his son. So that is his son. His son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We are the brothers and sisters. So there's the call. So there's the problem. We see the problem. The Spirit awakens within us, and then there's the call. And then there's this time that we answer the call, and we start to enter into salvation. Why must we all get to that place where we enter into salvation? Because, and you see it all through Romans. Uh, Romans 3.23 says all people have sinned. Romans 6.23 says the penalty of sin is what? Death. It's not maybe death. It's not sickness. It's not infirmity alone. It's, it's death. It's definite. The wages of sin is death. And then Romans 5.8 says, Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty of our sins. If, if you're new in Christ and you don't understand the meaning of the cross, that is the meaning of the cross. Because the wages of sin is death, something had to die to pay for the sin. And God, because of His love and His care for you, said, no, I'm not going to make you die for it. I'm going to send my closest friend. I'm going to send you to the closest person I know, and that's my son, to die for you and pay that price for you. And all all I will ask of you is to believe. Will you believe that he did that for you? There must also be an invitation. So so a component of of the salvation experience is there has to be an invitation. That's that's what you're hearing today is I'm inviting you, inviting you to believe, inviting you to answer the call. There must also be an invitation for a personal response on the part of an individual who will repent of his or her sins and trust personally in Christ. Matthew eleven twenty eight. I read earlier. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy, carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And it doesn't stop there. 
For you that are believers, hear this. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest in your souls. Are you struggling in your walk even now? Have you been saved for a while and you're just still struggling? Go to Him. And, and, and He wants you, as He says here, take my yoke upon you. What's a yoke? I'm waiting for somebody to say it's the thing in the middle of an egg. It's not that. A yoke is this, this beam that would, that would be strapped across two cows or oxen. And so... And then they would, so that way as they pulled, they could pull together. Now somebody was, it, it, I used to always think that they'd pull together equally. But what was told is, no, they would, is that there was a lead ox. And as these two oxen were hooked together with this beam, the lead ox was the one that did a lot of the work and trained up the one that was next to them. That's where when it says in this scripture, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you. It's come alongside of him and let him take the burden of whatever the work is that's before you. And as you walk with him through the struggles, it does not say, take my yoke upon you and we won't plow a field. We'll just sit in the barn and talk. No. You will have to get out and work. You will have to plow the field. But his yoke is easy and his burden is light. As you do the work together, he will go with you and take the, the burden of the work as he teaches you to do work and to work out your salvation. So we must answer the invitation, but we also must believe. John 1.12 says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. To believe is to be saved. It's to be what we would call a, a convert. Because we're converting our life from one way to a new way. We may define conversion as, as a willing response to the gospel call. You respond to the call in which we sincerely repent. Now this is the part where God has really been working within me this week. It's the part that says that we sincerely repent of sins and place our trust in Christ for salvation. It, I want you to hear this. If you haven't heard anything prior to now, then you were sleeping. But then I want you to hear this and wake up. The word conversion itself means turning. Here it represents a spiritual turn. You've heard uh, in, in church teaching the, this, this idea of repentance. It's I'm, I'm living this life, I have to repent and turn, and I would say turn to the cross. The conversion itself means turning. Here it represents a spiritual turn, a turning from sin to Christ. The turning from sin is called repentance, and the turning to Christ is called faith. Now this is the part I want you to understand fully, and I'm asking everyone in here, saved or unsaved, to hear this. Neither one, repentance and faith, can occur without the other. And they must occur together when true conversion or salvation takes place. When you repent of sin, you must equally have faith in Christ. You can't just say, okay, I'm going I'm to repent of the sin 
and not have faith because what that is, is that's just guilt. That's just guilt of sin. Repentance of sin is saying, no, I'm going to turn from the life that I lived that led to sin and turn my life to a place where I must rely and believe and have faith in him. But daily I struggle, and I'm sure we all do, where I want to pick it up and do it myself. That's not faith. That's stupidity. I do it daily. I, I'm going to do it myself, and then I fail, and then, I, then repentance and faith. You cannot have repentance without faith, and you cannot have a salvation experience without both. True salvation must contain both. There must be a repentance of our sins. You read all through Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 says, Peter was speaking, and it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And then in verse 38, he replies, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized. Acts 3.19 says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Acts 5.31 says, Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. That's Jesus. He did this so that people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. Acts 17.30 says, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone, everywhere, to repent of their sins and turn to him. With a faith in Jesus as our Lord, we must repent from the life that we once lived, accept that salvation, and walk in faith that there is a new life, there is a better life, and that there is an abundant life with purpose and meaning. Saving faith is a trust in Jesus Christ. But pastor, I don't even think I know what the word trust means anymore. If saving faith is a trust in Jesus Christ as a living person, then I have to trust that He'll forgive my sins. And I, and I can't even trust that when I make a dinner date with a friend, they'll show up on time. I, when I was a kid, my, my dad left, and, and, and I can't even trust that fathers are good anymore. I... I can't trust myself because I've let myself down so many times. So what is trust? And I think that's the struggle that, that we encounter today. They're walking through life so numb, and then we say, trust in the Lord. And Well, what is trust? Christians, believers, are you trusting in the Lord today? Are you demonstrating for those that need to believe and trust again what trust really looks like? Because there's lives at stake, and if you can't even walk out a life of trust, then how do you expect anybody around you to believe that trust can actually exist today? To believe takes faith. To believe takes trust. Acts 16.31 says, they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. I've seen where, where 
an individual of a household comes to that salvation experience and enters into the life that Christ has prepared for them to live, and the whole household come over to know the Lord. So I've seen it, I believe it, I trust in it. John 3.16, we all know, for God so loved this world, your world, and the world around you, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes, you must believe. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then Romans 10.9, because of you, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, I, faith and repentance, I, I talked about them earlier and how they, they have to be together. You can't have one without the other. You must have both. But it's important for us now to realize that faith and repentance are not confined to just the beginning of a Christian walk. They are rather attitudes of the heart that continue throughout our lives as Christians. Consider your heart. If someone messes up and they're repentant, forgiveness is close behind. But if you mess up and you just feel guilty, forgiveness usually lags behind. Repentance is not guilt. Repentance is, you know what? Yes, mistakes happen, but that's behind me, and I don't want that life. In fact, it's not just that I don't want that life. I desire faith in Him. Repentance isn't about trying to put behind the things that I've done wrong. It's about pressing forward for the things ahead that I can only have when I have faith in Him. These attitudes should continue throughout the course of our entire Christian life. Each day there should be heartfelt repentance for sins. And faith in Christ to provide for our needs and to empower us to live a Christian life. When, when we were kids and we'd go to bed at night, Dear Jesus, give me good dreams, help me to sleep well, forgive me for my sins. Because you were afraid if you didn't ask for forgiveness and you died in your sleep, you may not go to heaven because we lived in a fearful home. No, I'm teasing. But, that, but think about it. Isn't that kind of crazy? Forgive me of my sins, Lord, because if you don't, I might not come to heaven if I die tonight and then try to sleep well after that. But, but it should be a daily occurrence. Lord, I've sinned today. Forgive me. And not just forgive me and checking the box, but forgive me, Lord, because I really, truly want to have a closer relationship with you. I want to be able to walk my life out in such a way that I have an abundance of faith, regardless of what lies before me and looks like a barrier to a joyful life or a happy life, regardless of what issues might be going on. Lord, I don't even want to see it. I just want to have my eyes fixed on you and have the abundance of faith that you're just going to take care of whatever I'm dealing with. That is us as Christians. It's a repentance and faith life. I'm repenting and having faith in this life. And what happens is, and then in our life, we start to resemble Him more and more. Repentance and faith isn't just for the beginning. Yes, it's needed then. But it's for the everyday Christian believer.
both faith and repentance. Faith in Jesus. I can remember as a teenager getting to a place where um, it was a, we'll call it just a, a, a crisis of thinking. I, I can remember just sitting there thinking about my relationship with God and then questioning the validity or how real it might be. Now, some would say, but Doug, you grew up as a pastor's kid. That's the toughest place to grow up in and have an intimate place with Christ. Because I learned to play church before I learned to be in close relationship with God. So you may not know what's going on in the inside because I'm playing church. But there was this place in my life where I had to identify my relationship with God as being genuine or made up. And when I had to get to that place of deciding whether or not my walk with Him was genuine or made up, I got into this crisis state of, is it real? What if it's not? And I I got to a quick place of, well, if it's not, my life will be much better nonetheless. But then as I started to live my life committed to that, I've seen too many times where he, His Spirit has been demonstrated in this place and, in, and outside of this place and in our lives that it cannot be real. It is definitely real. And I can see it in your lives and in the lives of others. He is real because what's going on is there is no such thing as a coincidence. His hand is at work in this life and it is real. I uh, told my son I was going to have him come up here. Caleb, if you could come up. I know he's really looking forward to this, but <laughs> he's uh, our new high schooler, um, as we've got several new high schoolers in the church. But he, uh, he's a good kid. I love this kid. But I'm going to have him help demonstrate something for us today. And, and I'm going to have to set the mic down because it, you'd get hurt otherwise. Um, nervous? Okay. But you've all seen the trust fall, right? And, and, and so I'm going to have you turn your back to me. You know what that is? You just have to trust me that I'm going to catch you when I tell you to go. But why I want to demonstrate this for you guys today is because I'm not God, but I want to represent him for you today. And, this, and, and he represents us. Maybe you're in that place where you're, you're uncertain as to whether or not you're willing to take that step and answer the call to be saved. Or maybe you've been saved and, and there's things in your life you're just not willing to trust him with yet. I, I'm going back to that, re- that repentance and faith piece again. And so, for him to trust me and to fall into my arms, he has to repent of stuff. He's thinking, what am I going to repent of, Dad? (laughs) So, you you about ready? All right. So, you ready? Okay, don't, you can't look. That's not trusting. So, don't do it until I tell you to, okay? Oh, and you know all those times I've, teased you and didn't actually do what I said I was going to do, don't think about that. 
Okay. Promise? Okay. And if I drop you, it won't hurt that bad. So. I don't, I won't, I don't trust that much. <laughs> so, what's the repentant part? For us as Christians, it was doubt. It was a reminder of the times that maybe I was teased and he didn't catch me. That's not our father, that might have been an earthly father like me. You have a seat, thanks. What... What is going on right now in your life that you have this thread of doubt that's keeping you from just falling into his arms? You're hanging on to the struggle so much that you won't just let go and let him take care of it. What is that that's going on right now? If you all could stand as the team's coming on up and there I can't get that verse out of my head that says trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding but in all your ways how many ways in all your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your ways, trust Him. And He'll direct your paths. Who here this morning is, is in a place where you need to answer the call? Maybe you've been saved or you're uncertain of your salvation, I guess is what I'm asking. I, I, I've known people that are just uncertain. Or maybe they've just really not been living out a, salve, a saved life. They've been living out a life for themselves and I talk a lot about checking boxes and they did that. They checked the box and were saved but then they were just kind of uncertain what the rest of their life ought to be. The reason I didn't go any further in Acts 14 and I'll get it next time is, is because it gets kind of confusing in there. But I didn't want to go into what confusion can creep in until we clearly understand what it means to be saved. And to be saved is, I repent and I have faith. I believe He died on the cross for my sins and He rose again so I could have a resurrected life, a new life, a new life. One that's recognizable by those that are walking through not life numb. That's the new life that I want to live. One that's founded in Him. One that He gave me identity. The one that regardless of what thoughts I might have, I can just still trust and fall back into Him. And, 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 and there's people here today that you've done that and you've seen the reality of it and how awesome it can be. But if you've not asked Him to be your personal Savior, if you've not been awakened and said, yes, I hear the call, I would say, come to me now, all you who are weary and heavy laden, let Him give you rest. Oh, He so wants you to have rest in Him. 
bow your heads, would, would you please close your eyes? Who is that? Who is that person this morning that says, I haven't accepted the Lord as my Savior, and it's time to answer the call and to be known as His and His forever? If that's you, just slip your hand up so I know. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. You can put your hands down. So now is the time. For the rest of you, who in here has has not been living the Christian life, the believer life, one of repentance and faith? Who in here is saying, you know what, I I want to live my life with greater faith, where, where I can repent completely and walk in faith, just relying on Him in everything I do? I see that hand. Raise your hand if that's you this morning. An abundance of faith. Thank you. Now, You can put your hands down and with your eyes closed. I think it's extremely important that you demonstrate repentance right now. And it's an act of your will to say, I'm going to repent of the past. And it's an act of your will that says, I'm going to have faith in Him. And here this morning, that's that act is going to be just coming to the altar. And, and as quickly as I say that, there's this thing that kind of stirs up within you and saying, wait a second, that's, that's a step. But yeah, but that's repentance and faith. And what's on the other side is abundance of peace and joy and purpose and direction for life. So if it was you that raised your hand this morning, I'd ask you to come forward. Come join me here today as an act of repentance and faith. Thank you. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, For you that are still out there, I'm going to ask somebody out there, I would like at least one person with each of these people that are up here today. If you could come up and join somebody, just to lay hands on them and as we pray together to support them and to, and to partner with them in this step because that's, that's church. This is what we would call discipleship where we come together and we help one another and we're going to walk this out together. They didn't step out on, on their own and that's the thing that was awesome about the Acts church, the New Testament church, is it says they had all things in common. So when repentance and faith happened, that was in common. When hurt was happening, that was in common. When success came, that was in common. When victory came, that was in common. That's why we come together and in common, join with one another. Because we're going to do this together. And we're going to love on each other together. Let's pray. Dear God, We honor you and we praise you and we thank you for you are an awesome God. And you have always considered each of us as individuals. You've always desired each of us to come into union, communion with you, fellowship with you. And so, Lord, as they've come forward this morning with a repentant heart, Lord, I know that we can have an abundance of faith and we can rely on you. And so in Jesus' name, I pray for forgiveness, forgiveness for all of us, forgiveness for those that have come forward. And that forgiveness 
because of their act of repentance, Lord, I know is forever forgotten. It says that you you cast it as far as the east is from the west. Those sins are unrecognizable in your eyes. So, Lord, out of faith now, we identify ourselves with you. That is our cry. That is our prayer. Hear their cry. Hear their prayer. I thank you, God, for the work that you're doing in their lives in this place and outside of this place. We praise you, Lord. And we seal this with the blood of Christ that was spilled on that cross for all sins. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious, awesome, wonderful name. Amen.